What's up everybody, GenX Dividend Investor here. In this valuable video, I share the best ways to grow your dividend snowball into a compounding wealth creating beast. But first, please show your support by hitting that thumbs up button, subscribing if you haven't yet, and clicking that bell notification. Now a goal most of us have is to create a stream of passive dividend income that eventually turns into a river. And one of the best ways to accomplish that is by ensuring that you have enough financial education encompassing dividends, drips, CAGRs, brokerage account types, etc. Unfortunately, most people have never heard of how dividend snowballs can compound over time and just instead think that the only way you can make money in the stock market is if you buy low and sell high. Like literally yesterday, I was having lunch with a relative of mine and I was asking her what she likes to invest in and she said she didn't really invest. I asked her if she'd ever considered owning great companies via the stock market, and she said that she did actually have a work 401k that she'd been putting some money into over the years, but it didn't really feel like something that she could count on since she knew nothing about selling stocks. But worse than that was the fact that the market keeps crashing, and that reality made her feel like stocks were kind of pointless and that it would be better to just save up more cash in the bank. Her response gave me an opportunity to teach her about how dividends work and how interest rates in banks are good right now but historically have sucked relative to inflation, so just holding cash often means your buying power is slowly going down over time. I also explained that even though nothing in investing was guaranteed, many of the companies I invest in like McDonald's and Procter & Gamble have managed to pay out and increase their dividend payouts over multiple decades. She thought that the dividend payout would crash if the market crashed, and so I explained how the company's board of directors are the ones that vote on if the dividend should change, rather than it being directly tied to the stock market price. And as long as people keep going to McDonald's, then I'm pretty sure McDonald's will keep paying their owners a portion of the profits in the form of a dividend. So my retirement strategy was to buy and hold and to collect dividends as time goes on, dividends which would pay all my bills, as opposed to needing to sell shares to get money to make it through retirement. That whole concept was totally foreign to her, and she admitted it sounded far more compelling of a path than what she was thinking she'd need to do with her 401k. I also explained that it takes a lot of money before your portfolio can generate enough dividends to cover all your expenses, but you could also do a hybrid approach of getting some dividends and selling some shares. Whatever you do, the key was to keep investing in quality assets rather than just hold cash in the bank. Anyways, this lunch discussion I had highlights why I feel that learning is one of the best ways to grow your dividend snowball. Of course, there are lots of ways you can learn, from reading blogs and books, to joining online chat communities like my free dividend discord, to taking online courses. I've never actually taken an online course myself, but I see how it could be helpful to have all the information presented concisely and in a consumable format. I've had a few people ask me to create a dividend investing course, but I've never prioritized doing one, so please leave me a comment telling me if that's something you'd like me to do. Other benefits of learning include potentially being able to avoid paying a financial advisor to guide your investments. Now, some people would benefit from a good financial advisor, but not everyone. Regardless, you want to learn about things like taxes and account types and dividend types and such, all of which can accelerate your dividend snowball potential. And after learning, you got to actually invest, even if you only have small amounts of money to invest. Sometimes I'll get comments from people who say that the problem with dividend investing is that it's too slow or that the amounts are too small, and that tells me that the person probably isn't thinking long term, which is how I recommend everyone look at investing. And so forget about the get-rich-quick stories of the person who got into Bitcoin when it was a dollar and sold out at 50k a coin, or the guy who put everything on AMC and blah blah blah. Instead accept that investing takes time, ideally decades, and dividends start out small. Investing is not about gambling, which is what short-term traders and penny stock chasers do. No, investing is about owning quality businesses for the rest of your life, acquiring them ideally when they're on sale. One positive aspect about investing for the long term is that you shouldn't really be worried when there are market crashes, because if you're not selling then why do you really care? 
Instead, you'll start to see market crashes as an opportunity to buy more, rather than be freaked out when your portfolio has fallen. Long-term investors want their money to work for them, compounding in the market for 20 years or more, perhaps generationally. And that speaks to one of the best ways to grow your dividend snowball, which is time, and specifically investing more as time goes on. This portfolio growth simulator tool I built shows you what I mean. Let's pretend you started with 100 shares of a stock that cost $100 a share, thus a $10,000 portfolio. Let's also assume that stock has a 3% starting yield, 7% dividend CAGR, that it appreciates 7% a year, and let's input that you invest $400 a month to buy more shares. So initially your dividend income would be $300 a year. Pretty small, but better than nothing. That's what she said. Okay, and we can see estimates for how your dividends could grow over time, both if you were spending your dividends or if you were dripping them to compound your growth even faster. Like if your drip was off, then by year 20 you'd have gone up to 231 shares due to slow and consistent out-of-pocket investments, and your portfolio would be worth about 83 grand, and you'd be yielding about 2,500 bucks a year. But if you had been reinvesting your dividends in addition to out-of-pocket investing, then you'd have 890 shares worth 322 grand that yielded 9,660 bucks a year. At year 30 you could have 253 shares via no drip, or 1,303 shares via dripping. That means a portfolio worth 180k of no dripping versus 927k with dripping. Clearly having a drip on really accelerates the growth of your dividend snowball and is one of the best ways to grow it. Now it's easy for me to say to just invest and drip for decades, but doing anything for decades can be quite challenging. You'll need strong commitment skills to stay consistent with investing over the long term, coupled with some luck, and if you fall off the horse, which you probably will, then you'll need the fortitude to get back on it. You'll need to ride that bad boy until you get where you want to go. That's what I said. And it goes without saying that you want to invest in companies that you believe will be able to grow well into the future because nothing grows a snowball like a company that delivers healthy dividend increases over long periods of time, ideally along with a decent yield. That also means that to ensure long-term portfolio growth, you'll want a diverse set of stocks with great track records so that even if one or two of them falters, the others will keep letting your snowball grow. Now, a great way to increase the rate at which your dividend snowball grows is if you can drive more money into it. That means focus on your career and maybe consider starting a side hustle, which can hopefully eventually generate more income than just your job, all of which you can pour into your investments. But there is another way to grow your snowball, and one that most career people neglect, and that's to live frugally and to hold the line as you make more money, and then drive that delta into your investments. My advice is to live like Warren Buffett, i.e. live frugally and that will enable you to invest more money into your dividend snowball to grow it faster. Take a listen to this video from a Berkshire conference. Warren lives in the same house he bought for a very modest price, what, in 1950-something? I bought it in 1958, and you moved into yours about 1960, didn't you? Yeah, and I paid more. <laughs> but he designed Absolutely. his own, he designed he's, his he's own house. He, he did not pay an architect, right? I did, I paid an architect $1,900. Oh. It was as much as 30% of the normal price. Uh, yeah. Notice how he remembers the details. <laughs> no, I would, I, I have everything in life I want. It's, it's a very simple thing. If there's anything that money could buy, there are things money can't buy, but if there's anything money could buy that I wanted, I'd do it this afternoon. It, 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 I wouldn't have any problem with that at all. I do not think that standard of living equates with cost of living beyond a certain point. I mean, up to a certain point, there's no question that it does. I mean, in terms of having good housing, good health, uh, good health service, good, good, good food, everything, but, but good transportation. But there's a point 
I think if anything, you start getting inverse correlation. My life would not be happier. I'd be worse if I had six or eight houses or, you know, a whole bunch of different things I could have. Uh, it, it just doesn't correlate. And uh, uh, so I, having everything I have, I mean, you can't have more than that. And uh, that doesn't really make any, it makes a difference up to a point. I mean, I, uh, you can start thinking a lot differently when you got to X, but, have, but when you get to 10X or 100X or 1000X, it just doesn't make any, any possible difference. But, uh, Charlie, can you- frugality basically has helped Berkshire. So be frugal like Buffett. In fact, Bill Gates said that Buffett once pulled out coupons to pay for a McDonald's meal. Now that's frugal. Buffett is known to drive a 2014 Cadillac, but why not get a Bentley or something? Why be so frugal? Well, it's because he has no need for a luxury car. Instead, he just wants a safe car that works. Plus, he doesn't want to trade the amount of time it would take to buy a new car and come up to speed with how everything works versus using that time in other endeavors. Buffett focuses on needs, not wants, and a lifetime of living frugally has helped him invest more and compound faster. In fact, I just read this article that Buffett and his wife were at a retreat for billionaires, and she was overheard complaining about the $4 price for a cup of coffee. Buffett's wife reportedly said that she could get a pound of coffee for the same price elsewhere. And she's married to the sixth wealthiest guy in the world, and they have a cool $114 billion. That's impressive, but what's even more impressive is that Buffett's given away over $50 billion in his life, putting him to the top of America's most generous philanthropists, and he'd be at number three on the worldwide wealth list if he had not donated that money. My guess is that the majority of people watching this video could live more frugally, and even though for a short period of time you'd probably feel like you're missing out on things you wanted, Hedonic Adaptation says that you'd quickly come to find happiness at your new level of frugality. Hedonic Adaptation is the observed tendency of humans to quickly return to a relatively stable level of happiness despite major positive or negative events or life changes. According to its theory, as a person makes more money, expectations and desires rise in tandem, which results in no permanent gain in happiness, or at least not a huge permanent gain. What one author said was that some of us have our thermostat set to happy, some are set to depressed, meanwhile others are somewhere in between. When we experience a major event, say winning the lottery or becoming paralyzed, our thermostat may temporarily swing up or down, but over time it returns to its usual setting, or at least close to it. Eventually, the thrill of winning the lottery will itself wear off. As lottery winners become accustomed to the additional pleasures made possible by their new wealth, these pleasures should be experienced as less intense and should no longer contribute very much to their general level of happiness. I don't know about you, but I'm not thinking about the lottery when they talk about intense pleasures. I'm obviously thinking about that Altria hike next month. TLDR, winning a lottery may not be enough to boost happiness long term. Still, it's pretty fun to imagine what that money could be used for, a mental state some psychologists say is perhaps the best reason to play the lottery in the first place, because playing with expectations of winning is silly. There was a fascinating study done of lottery winners and paraplegics to determine if happiness is relative. What they found was that sometime after winning their money, lottery winners weren't all that much happier than people who hadn't won, and accident victims weren't anywhere as unhappy as the researchers had assumed. They also concluded that, number one, much of happiness exists outside of objective life circumstances, i.e. your attitude and perspective mean a lot more than what actually happens. Number two, we're prone to a contrast effect. Events in our lives don't have set values, they're compared to other events. So winning the lottery is such a big deal that it can actually make other good things in a winner's life less enjoyable. And number three, we're also prone to habituation. 
Simply put, we can get accustomed to nearly anything, no matter how good or bad. After time, a wheelchair might not seem so bad, and a million dollars might lose some of its luster. So my point is that if you decide to start living more frugally, then it might be annoying at first for missing out on certain things you want, but soon you'll probably change and it won't seem quite so hard. And heck, you might actually end up becoming happier than you were before you went down the frugality path, as you realize you're securing a better future for yourself, and you come to appreciate a more minimalistic life. That being said, my wife sometimes says that I'd be happy being a monk, which is an exaggeration, but also might help you understand my take on things. And besides, living a bit more frugally isn't a major life change, like becoming a paraplegic is. Interestingly, there was a broader study done about happiness, which somewhat countered the previous study, as this one ultimately found that having more money makes people less stressed and more satisfied with their life. So money might not completely buy happiness, but it buys a lot of things that make the pursuit of happiness easier. Anyways, there are lots of things you can do to become more frugal, which includes analyzing your expenses over the last year and cutting where you can, buying in bulk at places like Costco, meal prepping rather than eating out, leveraging free or cheap things in places and activities, having inexpensive hobbies, living a healthy lifestyle, etc. And then with all the money you aren't wasting on stuff, you can then use that to invest more into your dividend snowball. Okay, and moving on, another way to grow your snowball, kind of like the frugality one, is about not taking on bad debt, since bad debt acts as an anchor to your ability to grow faster. If you can become more financially prudent, you can practice more restraint, restraint from spending money on your credit card that you can't pay off, restraint from buying something you don't really need, then all that will increase your ability to invest in good dividend yielding assets, which in turn will grow your snowball faster. Instead of taking on a huge car loan, just get a Toyota Corolla or a Honda Civic or something cheap and safe that gets decent mileage. Other than your house and car loans, both of which you should take on conservatively, don't buy what you can't immediately pay off. Don't waste money on credit card interest. And just control yourself. Control your emotions. Which itself is another critically important skill to master in order to optimize your growth, i.e. mastering your emotions. If you're emotional about investing, you're not going to do well. Don't take my word for it and listen to Buffett. If you're emotional about investment, you're not going to do well. You may have all these feelings about the stock. The stock has no feelings about you. So you need to be wary of FOMOing into something just because everyone else is jumping into it. You want to guard against selling just because others are. Chuck over at FastGraphs just did a video on AT&T and Verizon, and he left a comment in that video that I think is worth repeating. He said, The stock market has got to be the weirdest market in existence. It is the only place where people go to buy things and hate it when things go on sale. They love it when the things they want to buy are insanely overpriced, and run in fear when they become great bargains. Two stocks that are currently experiencing this bizarre mentality are the telecommunication companies AT&T and Verizon. Neither of these stocks are growth stocks. Instead, both act more like slow or low growth utility stocks. And like utility stocks, their attraction is with the dividend income they provide. In short, investors should think of these more like bonds with a kicker than its capital appreciation opportunities. So my take is that for the people who are selling now because things are so battered down, might be the ones who have let their emotions get the better of them. Now I'm not advocating for you to invest in AT&T or Verizon, I'm just saying don't let your fear or greed or ultimately your emotions sway your investing decisions. Moving on, another great way to grow your dividend snowball is by leveraging retirement accounts, whether they are traditional IRAs or Roth IRAs or whatever you might have access to. Owning dividend stocks in a retirement account that has its strip on is like a magical compounding machine. You don't worry about taxes year over year and you can kind of sometimes just let it do its thing. And as the years go by, you'll probably be blown away at how it grows. The compounding often keeps growing faster and faster, both as the drip buys more shares and as dividend hikes happen. 
further compounding things. Retirement accounts are truly a great way to grow your snowball. And one of the most common retirement accounts are 401ks, and a mistake you want to avoid doing, which is something about 40% of people do, is cash out some or all of their 401k when they leave a job, which is what happens according to a Harvard Business Review study. In fact, about 85% of the people who tap their 401k withdraw all of the funds. But if you can avoid that quick cash and instead just roll your 401k over into your retirement account, then you can ensure your investments continue to grow your wealth compounding machine. And another classic mistake that some people make with their 401ks is when they change jobs multiple times and gradually lose track of their old 401ks, which then can slow down their overall snowball growth. I just saw an article this morning that says that over 20% of 401k plan funds are lost or forgotten. Sometimes 401k statements are sent to old email addresses or to old house addresses, and sometimes things don't get forwarded to you. In fact, in 2021, they found that there were nearly 25 million forgotten 401k accounts worth about 20% of all 401k assets in the US, and the average forgotten 401k account balance was around 55 grand. Sometimes those forgotten 401k accounts have administration fees simply to keep the old 401k account open, which is part of the reason why consolidating 401k plans can be a smart move towards growing your snowball, let alone the obvious benefit of moving your old assets into the dividend-bearing stocks you want. Now I'm sure that some of those forgotten accounts weren't actually forgotten, but were just left in place for a variety of reasons. But I'm also sure that some were forgotten, and if you're one of those people that has left a 401k behind, then it might benefit you to know that I found that there's a website called unclaimedretirementbenefits.com, which is supposedly a national registry of unclaimed retirement plans. I was surprised it wasn't a .org, so I did a quick search and found multiple sources talking about it, including Investopedia and CNBC. So I'll link their articles in this video's description so you can determine if it's the site you want to check. Anyways, beyond checking for your old 401ks on that site, you could also try contacting your old HR department and or look at any old statements you might have. Whatever you do, don't let old 401ks die off in the void. So hopefully now you've got a better handle on the best ways to grow your dividend snowball. And with that I'd normally do a shout out of my newest Patreon aristocrats and kings, but I'm all still sold out. I would like to recognize my all-star Patreons, i.e. those patrons that have been signed up to me for over a year and continue to stay on board. I do recommend that everyone out there consider using my Seeking Alpha affiliate link, which usually gives you some extra perks when you use it and sign up to their service. I really value how their premium membership lets you read all the articles, which I find very useful to be able to do. I personally paid for Seeking Alpha premium for multiple years, and now I'm grateful that they've agreed to sponsor me when I talk about them. Whatever you do, please consider hitting that thumbs up button, subscribing if you haven't yet, and clicking that bell notification. And I highly recommend that you join my free dividend discord chat server, which has over 10,000 dividend investors on it from 76 countries around the world. Thanks for watching, stay positive, and I'll talk to you again real soon. I am not a financial advisor, and these videos are for entertainment, inspiration, and educational purposes only. Investing of any kind involves risk. I am only sharing my opinion with no guarantee of gains or losses on investments.